What a blessing to be in God's house with God's people. And I thank God for His church. Amen. He bled and died for the church. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. There came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a fathering. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, please open our hearts to the Word of God today. I pray the Holy Spirit will bridge that gap between our ear and our soul. The words that are spoken today will uh, ledge and lodge into the hearts of every believer here today. Lord, touch us and help us to see the truth that is displayed in this precious word this morning. Save the lost. Oh God, touch those that may have never known you as their Savior. Lord, they'd come to redemption today is our prayer. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. And if you're sitting near a friend or a loved one, Turn to them and say, I love you. Love you, Brother Tate. And Brother Jed, I enjoyed your Sunday school lesson. Excellent, excellent preparation, excellent. And I quit telling people, I love you in the men's prison. I just dropped that. It just didn't, didn't work out too good. I've never had road rage, but it seems a few people around me have had road rage. I don't understand that. I just tell them, if you don't like the way I drive, stay off the sidewalks, you know. <laughs> this is the last lesson that Jesus gave in the temple before he went to the Passover room to Gethsemane and then to the cross. Very last lesson. Um... He, he chooses to go in what's called the women's court. You had a large courtroom. It was a large court area. And you had an eastern door back here. You had a northern door on this side. And you had a southern door. So you'd come in one of three ways. But this is far. The women could not go any further than this. There was another courtroom you could... The men could go, but you couldn't, uh, only the Levites could go way on back to do the work of God. So Jesus, and this, this area was pretty large. Uh, this is where Jesus taught most of his lessons when he was at Jerusalem. He didn't live in Jerusalem. Uh, he lived up in, way north of there in Capernaum, uh, where Naphtali's tribe had inherited the land. That's where he lived. It was a... It was a multifunctional people place. I mean, the spice trades came through there at Capernaum. Uh, you had 
the place where uh, the Gadareans lived. You remember where he cast the devils out of that one man? They went down. He lived way up there. But you come to Jerusalem. This is where all the religious people live. And they loved the Lord, sure. And this is where they came to talk. They, it wasn't a conversation place, but it was where they saw each other and it's where they worshiped God. They prayed there. And they had a treasury. Their treasury would be uh, like under a cover back here where the choir is. And they'd have three boxes. And on top of the boxes, they'd put a funnel type deal. And they called them trumpets. You know how trumpets shaped out like that. So if you're just walking by, you go by and you cast it in. You see, that's what she did. Uh, she threw in, in verse 42, to might. And, and Jesus used the word cast. So you didn't have to get close to it. You could just walk by it and cast it in and, uh, uh, you know, give your offering. And, uh, but notice verse 41. Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how. How do people give to the Lord, Brother Tate? How do people give? He didn't come to see how much. He knew of course, him being God, but he will know how they gave. Did I give it because a preacher, if he knew what I gave, he'd be happy. Some give that way. The Bible tells us to give cheerfully. <laughs> Don't begrudge giving to God who already owns everything, who really dispenses out everything. You can buy, you can buy health insurance maybe, but you can't buy health. And God gives health. Uh, God, uh, you may learn a lot of things, but it's God that gives you a sound mind. It's God that gives us all these things. He gives us our strength, our health. You wouldn't believe I was 85, would you? Well, I'm not. That's why I'm not 85. Well, so God's the one that gives us these things. And so here, a certain widow came, and she had just two little pennies. In our, in our worth, it'd be less than one of our pennies. It'd take about four or five, eight of them to make a penny. I mean, it wasn't much. But this was the object of his lesson. Now look at, go back to verse 40. He is giving a, oh, a raking over the coals of the scribes. And these were men who sat down with the word of God and and transcribed it from original copy to a copy, and uh, they were very meticulous. But look what it says in verse 40. Which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. Was she a victim of one of these scribes? He just got through talking about these scribes and what they did to widows, scammed them out of their houses, or went to them and nice to them and act like they were taking care of them and they put them in their will. Uh, we're not sure if he was referring to that or not, but she cast in all her living. Now, what does that mean? That means when she went back home, she did not have any food in the pantry. She did not have any, probably any other clothes or clothing that she could sell, she had nothing. 
Nothing. Now, Jesus has a lot to say about money. Luke 3 and 14, he told the soldiers, be content with your wages. Roman soldiers. Matthew chapter 17, verse 25 through 27, he talked about the tribute money. He and, he and Peter are going back to Capernaum. And when they go back to Capernaum, the, the Romans have set up a, a, like an immigration table. And to get through, you had to pay. And, but if you're a resident of where you're going, you didn't have to pay. If you're a stranger going through, you had to pay the tribute money. And so after they get there, uh, the guy is the Roman officials wanting money. that He don't know this is Peter and Jesus. And so he says, uh, are y'all going to pay the tribute money? And Jesus speaks to Peter and says, Peter, do, do, do the children of that land, do they pay? And he said, no. Peter said, no, they don't pay. And Jesus said, lest we offend them, go down and catch a fish. Throw an angle, throw a hook in the water. And sure enough, Peter goes fishing, throws the hook out there. The first fish that he catches, he opens his mouth, and there is a Roman coin in there. Can I tell you, God knows where every coin is in the world. <laughs> I preached that sermon one time, and several men started fishing at my church. <laughs> I don't know. I guess they were carnal. I'm not sure. And Matthew 22 and 21, uh, they tried to trap Jesus with money and said, uh, in, in essence, do you know that Caesar is controller of all the world? And uh, Jesus said, well, bring me a coin. And there was Julius Caesar's picture on there, the engraving of it. And he says, whose image is on here? And they said, Caesar. And here's what Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's Render unto God the things that are God's. And so Jesus had a lot to say about money. Now, I, several months ago, Brother Tate, I was, I was trying, I, this, this thought by the Holy Spirit came, who in the Bible was most like Jesus? Who, if I had looked at all the characters in the Bible, who was most like Jesus? Well, we could talk about Moses. What a great man he was. Uh, after about 40 years of trying to find himself, he found God. God found him at a burning bush. Elijah, Elisha, Samuel, Daniel, Joseph. I mean, we could name a lot of names. Go to the New Testament. Who in the Bible was most like Jesus? Well, Peter, James, John. Although, wait a minute, Peter, he had a size 10-foot mouth, I believe. He, I mean, you know, it just, no, Jesus never did do that. Who was most like Jesus? And when I got to reading this scripture, you know what Jesus did? The, the money boxes were over here, three of them, and Jesus is over here somewhere on the side, and uh, he was leaning over there watching how they gave. Said nothing, not teaching, his disciples were, were leaning around and he watched how this woman came in. I think some of the wealthy guys came in like this. They might have came in the north gate there and came in and had a bag of money. And when they got near the trumpet, the offering plate, 
And dropped it in. Boom. I believe there's probably some rich men came through and didn't even make nothing of it, Brother Tate. Thank God for those who are willing to give and God's blessed. They just came in and walked by the trumpet and placed it in there and went on in. This woman came in. I think she and Jesus were a lot alike. First of all, we don't have her name. She has no name. I think we'll meet her in heaven one day, Brother Tate. She, she's in the scripture, but she didn't have a name. And can I remind you what Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 said? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, oftentimes Jesus healed people and told them, go tell nobody. Don't go tell anybody what I've done. He came as a servant. How many, anybody in here born in a barn? Stable? <laughs> Somewhere might have been born at home. That's common, was common past days. I was born in a doctor's clinic. They've turned it into a historical marker now there in Ringo, Georgia. Not about me, about the town of Ringo. <laughs> But that's where I was born, in that historical place. Dr. Stevenson. Jesus was poor. This woman was poor. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He became poor. He had all the riches of the glory, but he came poor. I don't know how this woman, this certain widow, became poor, but here's the main point. She, like Jesus, gave all. She gave it all. And can I tell you, our Lord Jesus Christ gave it all. 1 John 3, 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus gave it all. I mean, he had nothing else to give. He gave his body. The book uh, Isaiah 53 says he gave his soul. His soul died. Isaiah 53, verse 10, 11, and 12. Now, here's some observations I want to give you. Jesus sees what we give, but he's more interested probably in how we give. How we give. The world says, what does he give? And Jesus says, how does he give? You know, Paul told us in the Corinthians of a more excellent way. Yet I show unto you a more excellent way. He talked about all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the workings of God, but yet I show you a more excellent way, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity. Charity is love in action. Not just saying I love the Lord, but when the Lord says go do something, man, you get up and go do it. He said, I am nothing. I'm, I'm a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. He said, 
do I, do I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and understandings? Do I have, I have the faith in me that I can move mountains, but I am nothing. Do I bestow my body? Do I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned and have not charity? It profiteth me nothing. So love is the, love in action is the motivating thing that God sees. I believe when we go to the judgment seat of Christ, he'll, our sins are gone. They're not, they can be found anywhere. Amen. They're gone, gone. But our motive in serving God probably will be judged there. How, did, we, we, did we come to church because we loved him or because mama said, you better be in church Sunday? Did we give because we love him? Or, well, that preacher preached on tithing, I'm going to give. You know, God's view is so much different. Here, here's another observation. Jesus not only sees what we give, he knew the rich Men gave a bunch, and he knew this widow gave two nights. But he sees what is left. He he knows. He knows what is left. The world says, how much does a man give? The treasurer of the church probably won't know how much he gave. But Jesus says, how much does he keep? See, God's view is so much different then our view, Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And who would have thought, can you see the faces of those disciples when Jesus says, do you see that poor widow? And Peter said, yeah, yeah, I saw her. And uh, Bartholomew, one of the other might have said, she didn't give much. And Jesus said, let me help you out, boys. She gave more than all those others that marched by and gave because she gave it all. She gave all of her living. Now, what are you trying to get at? What is money? Ancient cultures used salt. The Greeks transferred wealth with salt. Cocoa beans were used in some societies. Wampum, anybody, an Indian studier, student of North American Indian, they, they swapped wampum. You know what wampum is? It was a little, a little sea animal that died during the flood of Noah, and they were circular in shape with a hole in the middle, and the Indians found some, and they started cleaning them up as fossils. They didn't really know what they were. And put a string to it, made a bead. Made, and wampum became valuable to the North American Indian. Seashells were traded metal by weight. You know why they put ridges on our coins? On the outside of our coins? Because used to, they were full silver and full gold. 100% silver and gold. And what guys would do, they'd get their knife out and they'd peel off a little bit of gold on that gold coin and save it. And they did that several times. You got a little pile of gold there. You can melt down and sell it. So our government started putting little ridges on the coins. And 
useless them to do it today, I'd say. <laughs> Not even backed by very much. I saw this, and then, then, then they started using paper. Paper became legal tender. We probably deal with paper more than we do anything. Anybody kin to the Cherokee Indians? Got some relatives Cherokee Indians? Well, you know most Cherokee Indians will not take the $20 bill. In Oklahoma, the banks supply themselves with 50s and 10s, and uh, to the Cherokee Indians, they won't take a $50 bill because Andrew Jackson's picture's on there, who was president at the time, that he gave the federal order to move all the Indians, Cherokee Indians, out of Georgia into Oklahoma because when Dahlonega found gold in North Georgia, they thought gold was everywhere up there. And where I pastored in Georgia, Tallapoosa, Georgia, way on the west side of Georgia, uh, the Tallapoosa River means Golden River. Uh, there was gold in that river. So they've used paper, they've used coins, they've used seashells. I saw this interesting, I don't watch YouTube much, but I saw this interesting little, little clip. This cat lived, an uh, alley cat lived near where a fish market was. And the cat saw men going to buy fresh fish and they reach, reach in their wallet and pull out a dollar bill or a five or a ten and give it to the guy and he'd give them fish. The cat, the alley cat saw that so much, he picked up a leaf and brought it to the counter and the guy looked at him <laughs> and the cat dropped the leaf in front of the counter and the guy said, that cat's trying to buy a fish. So he had some fish scraps. He gave the cat some fish and took the leaf and put it in the register. And the cat went happily off after buying his uh, meal that day. Isn't it interesting how money is used? Money, you know, have you ever heard the saying, money is time? Time is money. Very true, very true. Uh, let's take... You with me? Say amen. amen. More teaching than preaching. That's all right. As long as we're learning something about God. So I've got, let's see, here's three members of the church. Peter, that's very appropriate. He's got three microphones. <laughs> he talks a lot, doesn't he? James is speaking of higher things. And over here is John who can pick up sound anywhere. Peter, James, and John. Peter works at a job making $10 an hour. James working at a job makes $20 an hour. Over here, John is a supervisor at one of the plants here in Augusta. And uh, if you figure out how many hours he worked and what his salary was, he'll make about $60 an hour. They all go to South Haven Baptist Church and they all put in $20. From the treasurer's eye point, they all gave the same amount. But in the eyes of God, how many hours of his life did Peter give? Two hours. Because he makes $10 an hour, and he put in $20. So he, makes, he gave two hours of his life. James? James makes $20 an hour. He put in $20. So how many, how many hours did he give? One hour of his life. And uh, John, 
John makes $60 an hour and he put in $20. It comes out that he gave like 20, no, 20 minutes of his time. We don't, we don't seem to think of money as time, but I have a feeling this is how God sees it. This is how God sees it. So when, when I give money, Mary and I help missionaries through our church's mission project, even though I'm not the pastor there anymore, we give our money to the church, which is my time, her time, our time together. We give money to the church. Our time gets transferred into dollar bills. The church then takes the dollar bills and he gives it to the missionary on the field. But actually, what have they given the missionary on the field? My time. Hey, they gave my time to that missionary you had like serving in Italy. And so he takes my time and he goes and preaches and gives out tracts and works for the Lord in Italy. And so on my time, that man has represented the Lord Jesus Christ on my behalf. And, and you know, it says, says in Philippians 4, 17, Paul, Paul received help from several churches and he said, for even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And so when the missionaries we support, one's in the mountains of, of, of Honduras, one's out in the Apache Reservation out near El Paso, Texas, one is serving now in Canada, going to be coming home soon and find another place to help a missionary serve. Those that we help, you know what they're doing? They're taking my time and other people's time and putting it to use. Now, in many foreign countries, you cannot work legally in those countries as an American. It's against the law. They don't have a green card. Many companies don't, or countries don't have a green card. And so we have to help them to go to these countries that are represented by these flags that they can have time. And who gets the credit? They get the credit. Somebody's hollering for help back there. <laughs> they get the credit. They get the credit. The missionary does. But we as a church here at South Haven, we get the, to the, put to our account. Because we gave, and how we give, I think, is important, Brother Tate. Give, because I know I'm helping the gospel being spread to a lost and dying generation. Now, my time is just about gone. Look at 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. Chapter 9, verse 6. I'm almost finished. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now that's a common, isn't that a common uh, agricultural knowledge? I mean, if you've got 100 acres and you only got seed for one acre, you're not going to get 100 acres worth of corn. You're going to get one acre worth of corn. Thank you, Brother Ray. They're crying in Macedonia. Come over and help us. <laughs> uh, 
So it's a common thing. My, we lived on a small farm, and uh, we were so poor. We, did, we had to borrow the neighbor's mule, of all things, and break up our garden. We had about an acre in garden, had an acre to live on. And uh, Dad put me in job of planting the corn one day, one, one season, one spring. And he said, Randy, put it about that far apart, about that far apart. So I dropped seed, I had several rows, and I dropped them. When I got down to the end, I had a, a you know, a handful of seed and only about three foot to plant it. So, boy, I put it in there. <laughs> I didn't know what would happen. <laughs> it came up, and Daddy said, John Randy, come out here to the garden with me. Let's look at the garden. Okay, Daddy, great, great. I said, boy, look at this corn down here. This, you did a great job down here. We got down to this row. He said, uh, what happened here, Randy? I said, boy, looks like we're going to have a lot of corn on this end. He said, Randy, we'll have to thin it out. We'll kill some of that. We've got a space about that far. When you run out of ground, save the seed We'll put it in the freezer. We'll save it in a dry spot. We'll use it next year. That, that's what Paul said. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Now, look what he said. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I'm going to close my Bible, give some of y'all a little hope. He said, how, how do I know what to give? Paul said, here's the way you know. Uh, you find out what your heart says to do. Now, how do I know how my heart's going to say to do? Well, there's an interesting study, and I'm going to give it to you. It's called heartmath.org. If you go to that website, in uh, the 1970s, they started studying the relationship between the heart and the brain. And they, they were concerned about why men, under great stress at their jobs didn't have just their brain to blow apart. But their heart died. Why? So they started studying that relationship. When they started doing heart transplants, they found out, Brother Tay, that our heart is more than just a muscle that pushes the blood. It has memory cells in it. Just like the brain. I was astounded when I started reading this uh, and it's not a religious site by any means. They're not anti-God. They're just describing the workings of the heart and the relationship with the brain. They, there was one heart transplant where they took the heart out of a man, put it in a woman. They wouldn't tell her who the heart came from. And uh, later, about a month later, she got looking in all the back papers and found out that day four persons had died the day she received the heart. And so she contacted them. But only one out of four, uh, the last one naturally, said, yes, my, uh, we, my husband was a donor. We donated his body to science and said we were told, we didn't know who, but that his heart had been transplanted. The lady says, I think I have your heart, your husband's heart. And then she said, can I come see you? The woman said, please come see me. She got her address and went to her home. She got there. She said, I came because I wanted to know something about your husband. I have his heart. Now, over a period of seven years, every cell in her body gets replaced by new cells. And over a period of seven years, her heart would be her heart, not the man's heart. 
And she, she got to talking to the woman and said, tell me something about him. And she talked about him, told his hobbies and things. And then at the end, she said, oh, I forgot to tell you. My husband loved Kentucky Fried Chicken. Said we would wake up in the morning and he'd say, honey, we got to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken for lunch or supper tonight. And the woman who received the heart, her jaw dropped. She said, I hated Kentucky Fried Chicken. Said, but after about a month after I got your husband's heart, I woke up one morning craving Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> and uh, they used studies like that to, to, and then they got dead hearts and started looking at them under a microscope and found out the same type of cells you see in the brain, the ganglia they call it, are found in the heart. So how do I know what to give? Here's what I figured out. The Holy Spirit, when you get saved, moves into you. He speaks to your spirit, who speaks to your soul, speaks to your heart, and your heart communicates with your brain in four ways and your heart tells you what to do. How much should I give to missions? How much should I give? Now God knows God knows what my bills are and God knows what I'm facing and God knows all my financial troubles, you know. Yes, he does. But he wants to know how you're going to give. So Paul said, let every man purposeth, that means continually purpose in your heart what you ought to give. Now, I'm going to tell you a little quick story. We were camping in uh, Cherokee National Forest. Mary and I camp a little bit. And uh, we go to a place where there's no hookups hardly. Uh, and we rough camp it, you might say, in a way. And uh, But I was going to go to church that night. And I had a purpose church I was going to go to near that campground. And I had a flat tire. So I got my suit on, my tie on. So I take, you know, my coat lay in the back seat. So I get out and get my jack down, get the tire down. And I'm checking. A guy pulls, guy goes past me, turns around, comes back, and he helps me with it. And, uh, and uh, now I know why I had a flat tire, I think. Uh, he said, can I help you? I said, sure. I'm just going to change. He said, look like you're going to church. I said, yes, sir, I'm trying to get there. And so... Uh, we get the tire changed, and I say, where do you go to church? And he told me, he said, go down there and turn left and then down the right about three miles, and you'll see the church down there giving the name of the church. I said, we're coming to your church tonight. And so I got back in, got my hands washed off, got back in the truck. He's done, took off. I got the direct, I go down there to the church, and we're sitting in the church. And uh, uh, I know it's about time for the offering, and the Holy Spirit says, Randy, sometimes it's still small voice, you know how that is. Amen. Give a hundred dollars offering. You know what I said? Is that you, Lord? <laughs> no, I didn't really. <laughs> so I knew I had a hundred dollar, and the Lord knew I had a hundred dollar bill in there, and I pulled it out willingly, gladly, folded it up, and put it in the offering plate. I don't know why. I don't know why I had a flat tire. I don't know why this guy came by, but evidently that church needed my offering that I had. And I went to the next meeting and that, the folks there blessed us so much I had to really repent 
they give me so much money for just speaking to them a little bit. I, we don't need anything. God's blessed us. What are you saying, preacher? It's how you give is what God's looking at. And how do you know what to give? You ask God. Ask the Lord, Lord, what should I give in the mission program? I think next Sunday you're going to have uh, the cards out and everything. Don't you dare lay out a church next Sunday. I'll know who you are and God will know and the preacher will know. <laughs> I'm just kidding, do you? <laughs> uh, we give. What do we, why do we give? Why do we give to missions? So some people I don't know can hear Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus gave his blood like a fountain. Zechariah 12, 13 and 1. Forthwith shall come a fountain in that day for sin and uncleanness. A fountain came out at Calvary and you can have your sins washed away as that first song we sang. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. He is the Son of God. He came pure. His blood came from his Father, which was God's blood that can wash away all your sin. Now, if you don't do that, if you wait around, you procrastinate, and you put it off, the devil's going to encourage you, quit coming to South Haven Baptist Church, and you're going to go into a world of sin, and you're going to die one day and go to the place called hell. And hell is not what some denominations teach like a piece of paper you'll just burn up and be gone. No, sir. It's not what Jesus taught in his Bible. He said it's where the worm dies not, where the fire is not quenched. Oh, you need to get right with God if you're not saved this morning. Let's have a time of prayer and then a time of invitation song. Can we do that? Right, let's bow our heads first of all. Our heads are bowed. How many here could raise their hand and say, Brother Randy, I know I'm saved because I believed on Jesus, my Savior. Can you raise your hand and put it right back down? Anybody? How about you? I didn't do that to just see everybody's hand. I want to know, how about you? Have you personally asked God to forgive you of your sins? Have you? If you have not, listen, the invitation is for you to come and pray and God will save you. That's a promise he has given. Father, bless thy word. Speak to our hearts. Meet our need, Father, here today at South Haven Baptist Church. Save the lost, Lord. Heal those that are sick. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand with me. Stand with me if you're able to stand. You need